Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Now this is the 80s glam metal cast special pick your poison episode. Now you need to listen to this thing now. So get your button gear or you're out of here. Get it? Now let it play. Now here's Metal Mike and Chuck Schu. Rock and roll dudes and a loose party and move. To get you thinking about those good times. Well, Chuck, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Oh, man. Thanks for coming on. As you know, this is going to be a special Pick Your Poison episode. It's going to be all about Ooh. poison. We're going to talk about the looks, the tours, the videos, and of course, we are going to do an album ranking. We And we may disagree a little bit. What do you think, Chuck? I think it's going to be close, but I think my number one might be different than yours, but maybe not. We'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. But first, you host the, the Chuck Shoot podcast. Tell everybody what you do on there. Yeah, I mean, it's probably similar to your podcast. I, I, we've actually interviewed a lot of the same guys, like right. Joey Allen from Warrant and Tony Harnell from TNT. Um, but I, I kind of branch out a little bit, too. I don't do uh, just do music guys or even just 80s rock guys. Um, you know, I interview authors, and I've had some movie TV kind of people on and some sports people, and I'm trying to continue to branch out and do different stuff. And Because I, I, I'm trying to do, like, you know, two or three episodes a week. So to just do music or even one genre of music would be would be tough. So I'm trying to kind of get a little bit more variety. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm sure, as you know, interviewing a lot of these guys who are your heroes is, is amazing. Yeah, it, it is pretty surreal when you, you sit back and think about, like, hey, I used to, uh, you know, sit up in my bedroom and listen to this uh, album, and now I'm talking to the guy who created it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty intense. Yeah, it's, amazing. it's weird because, like, I have these – like you said, you listen to the album or, you know, you have a, literally a poster of this person on your wall and all of a sudden you're talking to them in real life. It, it's bizarre. You know, the crazy thing is that I all, often think to if somebody told me, uh, said, hey, you know, Mike, someday you're going to, uh, you know, warrant, you're big into warrant, you're going to talk to their guitar player, you know, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so it, mm-hmm. it's, it is pretty wild, man. Very wild. Where can yeah. people, uh, well, sure. where's the best place, Chuck, for people to check out your podcast? Um, YouTube, and literally anywhere actually. It depends on, because everyone has their own way of listening or watching podcasts. If you want the visual and you want to see my ugly face, you can watch it on YouTube. <laughs> if you just like the audio, uh, then yeah, it's Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, iHeart. I mean, basically any pod- podcast uh, uh, format is available. Perfect, man. Well, hey, once again, appreciate the help going through this Poison thing. And, you know, Poison is one of the biggest glam metal bands to come out of the 80s. We're the glam slam kings and noise. Videos that dominated MTV, big tours, fun image, and even, uh, see what your thoughts are on this. They're kind of similar to Motley Crue in a lot of ways because I think everybody knew. Hi, I'm Bobby Daw. I'm CeCe DeVille. I'm Ricky Rocket. I'm Brett Michaels. You know, all the guys made their mark in that band. You agree with that? I agree totally, yeah, and just well, a lot of those those bands of that era are similar, but those two in particular, right? Because it's like four—they're all kind of rock stars in their own right. And so when like when both those bands had lineup changes, it was kind of a shock for people, I think. Yeah, 
Yeah, I agree with you. And probably most people could say, even though everybody will come go back today and say, oh, I love the Motley Crue 94 or I love Native Tongue. Um, I don't think those lineup changes really work that great. I mean, once again, we're talking about timing as well, the 90s and grunge. So there, there was so many. It's almost very similar to what happened to both bands. It was really timed almost identically. Absolutely. No, I agree. And I, I like the Native Tongue album. I like Crack a Smile, which we'll get into, I'm sure. And then, yeah. you know, like going to Motley Crue, I like the uh, Motley Crue self-titled album with Karabi. I interviewed him. That was amazing. Uh, yeah, even the nice. new tattoo, which didn't have Tommy Lee, that's a good album, too. So, Yeah, I mean, like I said, these bands, a lot of good music in the catalog. But before we get into the catalog, let's do an icebreaker question. So a lot of people know Poison for the look, okay? So if you think okay. back to their image, what 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 is your favorite image of theirs? Is there a certain album where they looked a certain way that you think like, yeah, that was the best? What do you think? You know, I'm probably in the minority here, but I kind of like their later look a little. I think like Native Tongue and like the Crack of Smile, and or like when they got back with CC and it was like power to the people, like I think they kind of looked more modern, but they had a little bit of the glam look, but it, it looked more contemporary. Because I think when, when they had that original glam look in the 80s, I mean, I wasn't even a fan yet. So it's like <laughs> when I go back and look at those albums, I just, I mean, I cringe. And I, I think they probably do too at that first, like look what the cat dragged in cover. I mean, they fall and look like chicks. It's, it's, yeah. it's a little too glammy for me. So I kind of like the later, more modern contemporary look personally for some reason i always grab and this is a lot of bands this would be motley crew uh kiss in the 80s and uh poison i always gravitate like to like 89 and 90 because to me i mm-hmm. feel like it's it's a little bit flashy but it's 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 classy you know what i mean like you if a band mm-hmm. came out looking like that today you'd be like oh yeah that would work where you're right if a band came out today and looked yeah. like poison from 86 um, you know it probably wouldn't work very well <laughs> so but um <laughs> it's you know I was there. I'm, I must be a little bit older than you because I I bought it when it came out and I thought it was cool. But one yeah. thing one thing that I'll say is I read a lot of comments and a lot of people say, "Oh, I, th- I thought those were chicks. I thought they were hot chicks." And then I realized they were guys. I never thought they were girls. I think because I saw the video for "Talk Dirty to Me" and it's pretty clear that they're guys, you know, talking to a girl on a phone. It's a, so I uh, I always thought they were guys. But you know, even that image, you got to give it it's credit because it was very extreme it probably took glam into the mainstream bigger than and crazier than anybody else have, have ever done it so i give them credit for that yeah no i mean it's like in a way it's really baldy to dress that girly <laughs> you know right. what i mean no like, it is you gotta have to i if i dress like that i mean i i if i'd probably get beat up right like especially <laughs> in the 80s and 90s like if i was like oh you know i really like poison i like the glam look i'm gonna I'm going to put some makeup on and some girls' clothes, and I'm just going to go to high school like this. Like, growing up in Seattle in the 90s, I would have got my ass kicked. So yeah, they got some balls. No, they did. They definitely do. Well, we'll we'll touch on a couple other more side questions, but you know what? I say let's get right into it. Why don't you tell me what album of Poison? I think I already know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyways. What, what album do you have ranked at number six? So the worst one, we're starting, we're going we're, backwards. Oh so yeah, we gotta go down. backwards, Chuck. So, I mean, yeah, the worst one, I mean, hands down. Welcome to Hollywood. It's gotta be Holly Weird. I mean, I don't know what happened there. It was a swing and a miss. It's just, the production is not that great. The songs aren't that great. 
I, I, it just doesn't seem like they even cared. I don't know, know why they made that album. Yeah, you know, I've got that as, uh, at six as well. I, prob- I probably would assume most Poison fans would have that at ranked there. Yeah, you're right, man. It's it's weak songs, uh, uninspired songs. The production, super weak. Almost sounds like they made it on a four-track recorder, like in a basement or something. Like, it just doesn't sound good. And you know what other things I've noticed when I went back and I listened to it? It almost sounds like a demo. And it sounds like the vocals, yeah. and even like the backup vocals, they need some massive refining. You know what I mean? They sound really raw. And, you know, maybe, okay, maybe uh, Open Up and Say Ah's backups are way overproduced. But this is underproduced. You know what I mean? Like, this is way too uh, raw for me. Yeah, I just remember when that out was 2002. So that album came out, and I, I was excited. I was like, a new Poison album? Sweet. And I think I bought it, like, sight and unsound like i think i just you know bought the album without even hearing it because it was poison and right. i was a big fan and I, I still am and so i think i remember getting it and like trying to like it like listening to it I was, well maybe i need a second listen and then oh, maybe I need a third and fourth listen i just just couldn't get into it you know it just wasn't wasn't there for me so i don't know if the band feels that way too or i'm not sure but uh, they haven't made an album since so yeah. it does make you wonder yeah, and that's unfortunate because I, I really hope they make one more album and kind of redeem themselves. But yeah, you know, even songs like yeah. a song like uh, "Shooting Star," when you listen to the lyrics of that, it's basically like a rewrite of "Fallen Angel." It's the same concept, you know. And it's just like, yeah, like I don't know if they had no, I don't know if somebody just said, guys, you just got to make an album, but there really were was no ideas to to really put something decent together, you know. I don't know, just it's definitely a letdown. Yeah, and it's interesting. I looked it up today because I always thought that they had like maybe produced it themselves. Like you said, it sounds like a demo, but <laughs> it was actually produced by this guy, uh, Tom Panuzio or something. And yeah, he's done yeah. a lot of like Alice Cooper and Ozzy Osbourne and done all this great stuff. So I don't know if he was just going through the motions too, or they just ran out of money or something. I don't know what happened with that, but uh, I hope that they redeem themselves and put out a new album. I got to say though, the one thing, and I don't know why I find it somewhat entertaining or I don't mind it, is the cover of the Who's Squeeze Box. I, I, I think it's kind of like funny and it kind of works yeah. for Poison. But once again, That's okay. just yeah. over, just like underproduced and just the original songs, just, just not there. Like not to the high quality that we're used to uh, from Poison. Right. But I give CC credit. I kind of I don't mind when he sings, and I, and honestly, I think some of his yeah. songs might be better than all the other songs. They're just it's just not much oh, there. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and if you look at um, I know we're not going to uh, officially rank this one, but the Power to the People album, which is more of a live thing, but there's a couple new tracks on there. His song that he does called "I Hate Every Bone in Your Body But Mine." I like. I that. mean, that saved the album for me. That was I remember being at the concert, and uh, it was Poison, Cinderella, and Dawkins. And somebody like you know they we heard he uh, introduced that song and everyone started laughing and then I remember some guy afterwards going up to the t-shirt vendor and being like hey I want that shirt but they didn't sell it I don't know why because that is a that would have been a great shirt to own I think the one that's on Hollywood that's pretty cool is Living in the Now and that's pretty catchy so that I feel like that's a well written yeah. song I mean it doesn't sound like Poison at all but it's uh, at least it's a well written memorable song I, I'll give it that for sure. So what do you have at five? So for five, I have Crack a Smile, which uh, I think this is a, a big upgrade over Holly Weird. Uh, you know, it's not like one of those ones where every song is good, but there's some pretty decent songs on this. Like it starts off with that song, The Best Thing You Ever Had. Mm-hmm. It's got this cool acoustic intro, and then it just kicks in and just rocks hard, and I love that song, and then I love the song um, 
the cover uh, of the cover of the Rolling Stone, the <laughs> yeah. Dr. Hook song. I think that's a great cover. It, it is, man, and and you probably are picking up on this too. Actually, oh, you know, strangely enough, uh, guys, we didn't plan this. I, I had that at number five as well. Um, I love <laughs> I love the album, and it's got great production. But what's cool about this album, in my opinion, is the fun vibe of Poison is back, where where maybe Native yeah. Tongue is a good album, but it's not really fun. I feel like they've been able to, they found a way to kind of integrate the fun vibe. And especially when they do the cover of um, the Dr. Hook, it almost sounds like comedy, like a comedy album or a comedy song, you know? And I think it's really cool. I, I dig that sense of humor yeah. that they showed on there. You know, it's not, it's not pretentious. It's a little bit more lighthearted. I, I dig it. <laughs> Yeah, like they're just having a good time and like you want to join that party, which yeah. is what the band was really all about in the first place. Do you ever feel though, like it's kind of like a, once again, I'm not going to say that this is a, a, a true poison sound, but you know, there's elements of the, the true poison sound in there, but I feel like there's like a, it's like a glam country hybrid. You ever get that vibe from some of the songs? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because I think it's a fine line between the blues and the country. And this one, yeah, there's almost some songs, and well, especially with Brett Michaels' solo career. If you look at that, I mean, he basically went full country with a lot of that stuff. So mm-hmm. I think you're getting a, a taste of that, especially with Cece not in the band. I'm sure Michaels had a lot of the control with songwriting and stuff, and so and creative control with what you know the way that the the band sounded, and he just took it in that country uh, route for some of the songs. It's really unfortunate, Chuck, with this album that it didn't get a proper release when it was being recorded. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, if it was, yeah. I know a lot of stuff went down. I want to say it was supposed to come out around 95 or 96, and then Capitol Records yep. thought they should do The Greatest Hits instead, and then two songs from this made it on The Greatest Hits, which are actually really cool songs. I think it's Sexual Thing and Lay Your Body Down. Um but, you know, yeah, it's unfortunate because I think people might feel different about this album if it had a proper release with some tour, a tour. Once again, if they made a video, I don't know who would have played it. But, but you know, I just feel like it, mm-hmm. there could have been a bigger push where it kind of just came out with a whimper. Didn't it come out like in 2000 or something like that? Just kind of, they just threw it out there. Yep, 2005 years later. Because I think in 95, I mean, it was so rough being in a quote-unquote hair band. So, yeah. But I think in 2000, enough time, it'd been like, kind of 10 years since grunge had started taking over and so there was kind of this resurgence and so that's when they put this album back out and then i think i think that was the first time i saw them in concert because that's like the cinderella and docking tour i think that was around 2000 as well yeah i think you're right now what do you think about blues saraceno being in there i mean it's kind of hard because I, I don't know about you but i don't sit and just focus on guitar solos i'm more of a song guy but i mean it's good playing you know i don't know if it's the right playing for poison but it's it's good he definitely has a very uh unique guitar sound i actually had one of his solo records and i remember when i was a kid and learning guitar my guitar teacher uh, we worked on one of his songs together and then he the, my guitar teacher went to some like conference and got uh his autograph so i thought that was kind of cool oh, that's cool so i thought he was cool um I think he was a better fit for Poison than Richie Cotton, who yeah. they originally decided to take over for CC, and it was between Richie and and Blues. And I think the other the other two members of the band voted for Blues uh, Blues Sarcino, but uh, Brett Michaels like Richie Cotton, and Brett Michaels got to win out, and they picked his guy. And then obviously Blues was the backup, but. I think Blues ultimately would have been a better choice because he's a better fit. Yeah, he seems like, at least, once again, maybe they were all going for that fun vibe, but when you watch uh, 
live performances from this era. I think they played in you know Brazil uh, at festivals and stuff like that. It looks like they're all having fun, oh. and he fits in with that vibe. So you ever seen any of that or no? No, that sounds amazing. I would have loved to see Poison during that era or even with Richie Cotton because um, I just became a fan at the tail end of the you know height of this kind of music, and I was in Seattle in the 90s. So these bands did not come to Seattle in the 90s. So I was like, I was like screwed. And so I remember the first time I saw Warrant was with uh, Jamie St. James. I had to drive like seven hours to Idaho to see them and LA Guns and Firehouse and all that stuff. So those bands just didn't come to Seattle. They probably still don't, honestly. I live in Phoenix now, so. You were at Grunge headquarters during all this. <laughs> yeah, and I liked Grunge too, but I, I really liked the hair metal. I just thought it sounded so cool, so especially a band like Poison. I mean, everything is just so catchy and you sing along and it's a good time. It's a fun time, you know, not like grunge where it was, grunge was kind of depressing. Yeah, it was, it was a downer. Poison definitely was, was an upper, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. I needed that in my, in my high school years. All right, man. What do you have at four? At four. Um, so I, this is going to look bad because I look like I'm just going right in order, but yeah, I've, at four, I've got native tongue. Um, so this is the one with, that we kind of referenced earlier with Richie Cotton. Um, and I guess I heard some of the songs he wrote before joining Poison. So they're basically like his solo songs. Mm-hmm. But I thought there's some great songs on this record, like Scream, Stand, uh, Until You Suffer Some, a lot of be- more ballad kind of stuff. But uh, then there was that fun bluesy tune at the end, uh, Ain't That the Truth. I thought that would have been a fun song to hear live. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, you know, I like Native Tongue a lot, and I'm trying to figure out, do I want to talk about Native Tongue now? Because I don't have it ranked. This is a shocker. This is where we start to deviate. I don't have it Whoa. ranked. I don't have it ranked at number four. I've got a little bit higher. So let me, I'm going to just, Interesting. let me tell you just, I'll just, I'm going to skip Native Tongue. I'll talk about it when I get to my, <laughs> to my ranking. I'm going to, I'm going to get okay. hated by a lot of people that, that follow my show. They're, they're going to hate my guts, but I'm going to say for number four, open up and say, ah. Oh, that's that's where I got a place. Okay. Now, wow. I okay. Let me try to explain why why I have it here. I'll do my best. But I loved this when it came out. I bought it probably the day it came out in 1988. But for me, over time, it's just kind of lost its luster for me. Now, there's there's great singles. You know, Fallen Angels, a, a tune still I, I love to hear. But there's a couple singles that I'd be okay if I never heard again because and it's not because they're bad songs. They're just overplayed. Nothing but a good time. I've heard. 800 million times yeah and i've heard um yeah. uh every rose has a thorn you know equally so they're great songs right. i don't want to hear them again and then besides yeah. the only two songs that i really gravitate to that i want to listen to a lot are love on the rocks and look but you can't touch and for me the rest of the non-singles like back to the rocking horse and good love i don't know man i just never want to I'm just judging about where I'm at today. You know, like I don't ever feel a need to go back to a lot of those songs. So I don't know. You know, I don't know why I feel that way about that album. But yeah, yeah, I just, I've kind of got it a little bit lower. Um, One thing though that's odd about this one was the cover. Okay. So the cover came out and there was this demon tiger girl, whatever, with the long tongue. And the retailer said, no, this is too raunchy. And then ultimately the cover just became a strip that shows her eyes and the rest is black. And, dude, when you look at that cover, do you really think there's anything offensive? I mean, we've seen a lot more offensive than that cover, haven't we? Well, that's what's so – yeah, I mean, uh, God, I have this conversation with all the people I interview. But it's weird to see – I remember 
uh, like I said, I caught the tail end of uh, the 80s. It was more getting me into music in the 90s. And that was like, you know, there was definitely a lot of that censorship going on and then uh, fighting that was for those stickers and all this and Dee Snyder fighting, uh, you know, in Congress for, you know, censorship. And John Denver saying, uh, no, we shouldn't have a censorship system with music because it's, you know, it's up to interpretation. So, yeah, to me, I look at the poison cover with the, the tongue and I'm just like, huh? Why? Right. Like, really? Like, but I think it was very sensitive to Satan and, uh, you know, devils and demons and things at that time in the 80s. Whereas now we're looking at different kinds of sensitivity. But, right. uh, yeah. you know, kind of, I think that maybe in 10 or 20 years we're going to look back on this time and go, oh, my God, what, what's wrong with that? Why, right. why are people mad about that? Yeah, uh, you know, I could see if you had, you know, nudity or something. I could see where maybe a retailer would be like, you know, this might be tough to have on the shelves in Walmart or Kmart, you know. But that one, even at the time, I mean, luckily I had the original one when it came out, so I didn't have to buy the stupid one that just had the eyes. But Oh, uh, so did the original one come out for a brief time or something? Yes. And then they banned it? Yes, the original one came out with, you know, the big hair and the tongue and everything, and then all of a sudden, you know, here's the thing, man, in, in... you you probably you can understand this because there wasn't a ton of information out in the 90s but in the 80s there was no information so what would happen is you'd just go to the store and all of a sudden there's this new poison cover and you're like what the hell because you don't there's no internet it wasn't on their website you yeah. know so, so you were everything right. was a mystery you just go in the store and you're like what the hell why did why is this different what 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 are people's problems obviously you you could pick up on that you know it was banned or something like that but just yeah great crazy you know times. i remember uh yeah, it's a similar thing with Ugly Kid Joe and their second album, America's Least Wanted. They had the Statue of Liberty, and it was their mascot, and he was the Statue of Liberty. Instead of holding the torch, he was flipping the bird. Mm. And I guess somebody didn't like it. And then, like the, the album had been out. I have the one, or I had the one with the flipping the bird, and then they changed it. And so I think what they did is they put like a bandage over him or something, and they put him like with a censored tape on his mouth and. So they actually kind of made fun of it with the second cover, but it's, I thought it was dumb they had to do that in the first place. Yeah, that's just insane. What do you have for at three? From their new CD, Flesh and Blood. Give it up. For three, I have Flesh and Blood. Okay. Um, I think the production on this one is uh, it's produced by Bruce Fairburn and Mike Frazier. I think it was their best produced album up to that point. Way better production than the first two. Uh, Unskinny Bop. We got to talk about that song. So... Fairburn didn't know what an unskinny bop was, but he thought it was perfect. And I thought I heard something about, it was about Cece watching fat girl porn. But then Cece said, no, I just made it up. It doesn't mean anything. Do you know what that song's about? What is an unskinny bop? What no, I, I have no idea. I always took it. It was just nonsense. That made no sense. Hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. That's what I think Cece's saying. It's yeah. funny. I agree. I, that's probably, that's, that would probably make the most sense. That it's just some nonsense. You know, it's funny. My kids are big into the Beatles. I like the Beatles, too. Sometimes we'll, you know, even, you know, I get it, you know, you have to go to the Beatles, a period where they're experimenting with drugs, you, you can blame some of that on, you know, why the lyrics are so strange, but there's certain songs that don't really make any sense to me. Nirvana's the same way. Nirvana has a lot of lyrics that on the surface don't make any sense, and, um... My kids have read a lot about the Beatles, and a lot of their lyrics just John Lennon did it purposely. Just took a bunch of things that just random things that he saw. Like maybe he'd look at a page of a magazine and he'd make a comment about it, and then he'd go to the next page and he'd just take these random thoughts or images that he saw and morph them all into one idea. So you know, I guess it's a lot of it's out there. There are some lyric writers that just write crazy things to like mess with the listener. And I wonder if that this is kind of a case of that. We're just keep people guessing because once again, 
you could say, oh, it's about a fat girl or it's about that. You know, you don't know what it's about or whatever. Yeah. So um, it's just maybe it's just kind of in the in the mind of the listener, wherever they want to For go. For sure. With. And it's funny on this one. Uh, this was another one where the album cover had to be censored. That's nasty. Yeah. It's a tattoo that says poison, flesh and blood. And the original it's poison, flesh and blood. And the, the on the flesh and blood, there's actual blood dripping from the guy's arm on the tattoo. Yeah. And they had to take out that blood dripping. So that was another one. Like that is so stupid because I, you know, it's funny that you say that because I was just jotting down a couple ideas right before I called you and I saw that on Wikipedia and they're like, and I'm like another one had to, once again, I bought flesh and blood when it came out. I probably had the one that has the blood on it. Um, but I didn't realize that they had to change that one too. I'm like, man, we are, we are oversensitive people oversensitive about these album covers. I don't get it. Yeah. No, that. Yeah, it's interesting. So, and I think uh, I'm kind of like with you on the open up and say all on this one in terms of unskinny bop, something to believe in, the big hits. Like I've heard those so many times, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of really good uh, songs on this album that are kind of underrated, like yeah. "Ride the Wind," yep. "Let It Play," uh, really catchy songs, and then "Life Goes On" is a great kind of more uh, ballady flow song. Yeah. And I, I like um, Life Loves a Tragedy. There, there's, this has a lot of deep tracks. See, see, I guess for me, Chuck, I'm like a guy who likes deep tracks. When an album doesn't have deep tracks, then I kind of sh- – yeah. I, I don't like it as much. And give you an example of an album yeah. that I feel has no good deep tracks, in my opinion, is Dr. Feelgood. Dr. Feelgood has like five super strong singles. And then the rest of the songs for me, like at least going back today, like – revisiting like she goes down and you know slice of your pot, rattlesnake shake you don't like that song? I, I don't know man i just think they're like goofy juvenile songs where i feel like the singles are so good that's why i like them <laughs> <laughs> well there's nothing wrong with that chuck you can like them but i guess that's no, just... the, the ones like the ones i didn't like on dr Philgo with uh maybe more of the slower ones like okay time for change i was yeah. like what the hell is this shit like i remember even as when i when i got that as a kid i was like and eh, i like tried to get into it because i think they said the the guys from Skid Row sang back a vocal on it, so I was uh-huh. like, "Oh, this is, that's cool, Skid Row." And then I'm like, "Huh, something about the song. I'm, I'm not loving it." But uh, no, I thought some of the other, like "Slicier Pie" and "She Goes Down." I love those songs. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just over time. They just once again. I probably I probably liked them in '89, but then like I don't. Maybe I'm getting an old, becoming yeah. an old old fuddy duddy. You know, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> They're just not registering. All right, so here's what I have at three. Also going to garner some hate. I've got look what the cat dragged in at three, and let me just my disclaimer is, I get oh. it. This is a bona fide classic. It, you know, it's a raw album, and once again, yeah. I, I think Poison. You know, I, I've already confessed I'm a deep track guy, but Poison write amazing singles, and the reason these songs are so successful is because they are very good songs. Songs like "Talk Dirty to Me," "I Want Action," "I Won't Forget You." Um, even look what the cat dragged in wasn't a single, but it was become a popular song in the live set and everything. But Chuck, when I go to songs like once again, this is I kind of like the same thing with Doctor Feelgood. When I go to like number one Bad Boy, um, or Let Me Go to the Show, I don't. Those are songs I just don't have a desire to listen to. You know what I mean? And that's where I think the album gets killed for me because I just hmm. some of those other song non single type songs. I just I take them or leave them. I don't I don't think they're the greatest songs, but I do like the heaviness, you know, like the raw production, the heavy guitar sound. I yeah. mean, they were they, this is a this is a you know groundbreaking glam album, but it's just one that I don't have any desire to to visit very often. So um, that's that's where I'm at with three. So what do you got at two? 
So for two, I have uh, Open Up and Say Ah, okay. which is uh, produced by Tom Warman, who produced the, those first four or first or three of the Motley Crue albums. Uh, but the most famous songs on this album, Nothing But A Good Time, Every Rose Has Its Thorn. I kind of agree with you. Like, I don't need to hear those again and no. again. Like, I've heard them so many times. They're good songs, but I think I've just I've heard them enough. Yep. And I think there's the problem with this one for me, too. I, I agree with what you were saying. There's just some... Uh, some weaker songs like yeah. tearing down the walls yeah. and bad to be good. Like yeah. I just don't, I, I, I re-listened to all this stuff, you know, in the last couple of days. And I, yeah, I'm just, it's not, I'm not loving it. I, they're not horrible, terrible songs, but I'm just not like, okay, I don't really need to listen to this again. Maybe I'm becoming an old buddy daddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Chuck, I, I sometimes wonder with these albums, are they like uh, a, a period piece is what you could call them. Is that like in 1988, sure, sure. this was the shit, man. This was incredible. This, this made sense, you know, but maybe when we get to 2020, you're like, yeah, strong points. No one's ever going to say that nothing but a good time isn't a killer tune or some of these other ones, but you're right. You know, tearing down the walls or I, I don't, maybe that's one that just doesn't work anymore. You know, maybe it's just, it just didn't stand the test of time, but maybe you got to take it into context like this, this timestamp of 88 or 86, you know, that this, you know, personifies yeah. what that era, what that decade meant. So maybe that could be part of it. I, I really don't know. Well, you want yeah, to hear, I think it's like you said, you were, you're talking about the whole album to listen to the whole, I mean, if every song was like a nothing but a good time, then it would be an amazing album. But right. when it's like, you got nothing but a good time and then you got bad to be good. I mean, that's like a pretty big drop off for me. <laughs> So maybe Poison, what we're kind of figuring, and this is, once again, this is just an opinion we're throwing out there. It doesn't mean that anyone else has to agree with it. Maybe Poison, to some extent, is like a singles band. You know, they they knew what their big, strong songs were, and then they just threw some other ones on there, whatever. Because at the end of the day, it's, the album can get carried by four or five songs and be a, a multi-platinum album. You know what I mean? Maybe they didn't focus that much on some of those other tunes. I don't yeah. know. Well, I think it's what, like you said, it's a, it's a snapshot in time. And I mean, I think a good example of this too for Motley Crue for me, uh, more than Dr. Feelgood, I would say Theater of Pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like some songs on some uh, album tracks on that one that I'm just like, I, I mean, I almost can't listen to that, those songs today because they just don't sound good at all to me. And I feel like Nikki Six even agrees on that. He, he, he does. doesn't like it either. So, Well, let's not go there because that was my first Crue album and I liked that one. So I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> No, that's I know. Chris Hilton, I had him on the, the uh, you know, he wrote that book uh, about hair metal, and he yeah. loves that album, too. So, he loves it, too. Uh, to each their own, you know. It's, it's, that's what you love. You know, that's what you love. And, and we obviously, we disagree on the number one. Oh, oh yeah, so number two, too. So, here we go. Going to have some ma- massive hate from everybody, but I got Native Tongue at number two. And I'm going to plead my case. Wow. I, yeah, man, I'm going to plead my case. And here's the funny thing. I got to make a confession here. So, in 93, I got to admit it, I didn't want anything to do with this album. I didn't even buy it. I think I saw Stand. They actually played it maybe on the wee hours of the night on MTV. It did. It got a little bit of airplay, but I, didn't, I wanted nothing to do with this album. And then probably around 95, I bought it like, or maybe 94, somewhere in there, I bought it like uh, in a cheapy rack, we used to call them, you know, like it was like, like clearance or something like that. And a couple listens in and I'm like, this is pretty damn good, you know? And a couple yeah. songs that I think are just, I think Until You Suffer Some 
is one of Poison's best songs. Once again, maybe it's a Richie Kotzen song. I don't know. But the the melody of that song and the guitar playing and every the vocals, everything about that song I think is just great. And there's fun stuff. You know, like Body Talk is fun. Uh, something like Bring It On Home is, is cool and bluesy. And I love that, you know, Richie adds his own voice in there with, you know, with the backups. And he sing, he almost sings trade-off lead on a, on a couple things on there. Uh, Seven Days Over You is a killer catchy song. Uh, ride, Child, Ride. Yeah. And, I, you know, this is where I'm going to go with this one. I think for the charm of this album is that it's not overplayed, okay? It's not beaten to death. Yeah. So when you listen to it, it sounds fresh. It's got great production. Yeah. The band is actually maturing. And, and I think this was very mm-hmm. prominent at, in this time. We're talking like if you go to look at Winger, Extreme, um, Lillian Axe, uh, all these guys, they were really evolving. They weren't trying to do a grunge album, at least nobody was yet. Right. You know what I mean? They were trying to take the hair metal, glam metal, and bring it into the 90s. So I think Poison did a great job, and I really I really like it. And screw everybody who says it sucks. <laughs> no, it's funny. like that's Because uh, my first Poison album was actually... Uh, the Swallow This Live. I think that was the first one I got. Oh, yeah. I really liked the new track on that, but I think the second one I bought was maybe Native Tongue. Nice. And I do remember listening, I got it when it came out, and I remember listening to that album on repeat over and over. That was just one of those, just because that's like the era that I got into that music, yep. and that was one of the newest ones. So to me, that sounded fresh, whereas if some of the older Poison stuff from the 80s, it didn't sound as fresh at the time in, in the 90s. So I agree with you. I mean, I didn't rank it as high, but I do love that album a lot, actually. So your number one is? So my number one, and this, I think this has actually changed, because I think in, in the 90s when I was a kid, I probably would have, I might have even ranked Native Tongue number one. I like it that much. Right. But I think over time, I've really become a fan of Look What the Cat Drag Did. Yeah. And I, I don't, again, I don't, I think the cover d- disturbs people or disturbs me. But if you just listen to the, the album as an album, I think this one holds up because I re-listened to this again and I'm like, I don't think there's a bad song on this album. I think every song is good. Maybe the, um, oh gosh, there's like maybe one song at the end there that's not the greatest. What is, what is that? Is what it is Let Me Go To The Show? Let Me Go To The Show? Is that the last song? Number, no, see, I like, like, I like Let Me Go To The Show. I want to say like <laughs> maybe number one bad boy. Yeah, like that week. But yeah. overall, I mean, I could just listen to that album and it's just like, they're all short, they're catchy songs, you want to sing along, they're mostly fast-paced, except for I think I Want to Forget You is the only kind of ballady song. And, I mean, it's a 33-minute album, and I like the production is shitty. Uh, Brett Michaels called it a glorified demo. Yeah. But I think it what, it what happens is it works for the style and the energy of this music. Like, they seem hungry. It costs $23,000 to make. Um, I just had Ryan Roxy on my show today from Alice Cooper's band, and he's telling me a story about how uh, he went over to Brett Michaels' or I guess it was the whole band's uh, studio apartment at the time. And he said, yeah, there was like mattresses on the walls and lyrics and shit written on the walls. That's nasty. And I mean, it was just a dump. Like he thought he, thought he lived in a dump and he went to Poison's <laughs> apartment. He's like, okay, these guys are really living in filth. So I think you could just, you could feel that energy in this album. It's just, they're just so hungry and aggressive. And I like the sleeves, I guess, is what yeah. I would say of this one. Yeah, and it's pretty much the only album that has that vibe from them. You know, like they kept gravitating toward a more bluesy yeah. sound and whatnot. And you know, man, like I said, I, I know I put it at three. 
but I love it. And it, like I said, maybe it's just something where I've, I've kind of some of the tracks I don't want to revisit as much. But I don't take away that, you know, it's an important album. It was the first Poison album I ever got. I mean, like I said, I got. And, you know, here's the funny thing about that album, which a lot of people don't realize. And if Christopher Hilton would tell you this. I would tell anybody this because he's, he's a specialist on hair metal. But this album took a year to get off the ground. Cry Tough was the first video. It didn't get any kind of airplay. And then all of a sudden, almost a year after its release, Talk Dirty to Me comes out. And boom, this thing explodes. So, you know, once again, if if Capital wasn't pumping, you know, money into Poison, if MTV didn't give Poison a chance, we wouldn't even be talking about Poison today. So it's a pretty amazing that that album, you know, took some time to uh, really pick up. For sure. And also they had those music videos. I mean, I think this is indicative of uh, their whole career, well, up until Native Tongue, but a lot of their music videos were just, you know, them on stage, like having a good time, you know, dancing around yep. and joking around and singing and, and it had that fun energy and especially this first album. It just had that uh, magic. I feel like it was just like this magic that they had because they hadn't made it yet, and they were hungry to do that. And uh, you could, I think, that comes across in the songs and the videos. And again, I, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the look, but that was what it was at the '80s. Like that was not uncommon to dress like that. And uh, I heard this. Uh, I was reading this today about the the cover was actually they compared that to uh, Motley Crue's Shout of the Devil, yep. or they said maybe it was a little bit of a parody of the Beatles' Let It Be, yeah. or more likely like Van Halen's debut. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, and you know what's funny? When you got talking about how they, they're they kind of goofy and having fun, especially in Talk Dirty to Me, one thing that it reminds me of is like the early Beatles, because when you watch the Beatles, like in the early days, they were kind of goofy and did, you know, when you think of like their mm-hmm. movies and stuff. And Poison was kind of had that same vibe, like that, but in a glam metal version of it, they they were just fun, goofy guys, guys that you'd want to hang out with, almost very similar to the early Beatles. So it's funny when you say about that about the album cover. I was thinking that about the way they acted. It's that fun, you know, easygoing kind of uh, way of acting. So yeah. Yeah, and then if you get, there's like a remastered edition with bonus tracks that's got a cover of Jim Karoshi's You Don't Mess Around With Jim. That's, I, don't, I think that's a pretty cool song, too. I don't know why they left it off the record, maybe just for time or whatever, but that's kind of a cool cover. Yeah, I have heard that, and that is cool, and that's just a cool song in general. Number one for me, man, Flesh and Blood. I got it at number one. I, I don't know what it is about that album. It's just grown grown on me. I feel like the singles are strong. It's got the best mix of musicianship with production, I feel like. Um, it, there's that good mix of fun and depth songs like you'd mentioned already, Ride the Wind, Let It Play. Even Valley of Lost Souls is so cool. Uh, Life Loves a Tragedy. And even Something to Believe In. I'm not saying it's a song that, once again, that I gravitate to a lot. But that was pretty important for the time because, you know, he could have came out and did another sappy love song or heartbreak song. But that song's got some pretty deep stuff. This whole album has a lot of depth to it. You know what I mean? Um, He gets Mm -hmm. into some pretty dark topics like you know losing his friend and all this kind of stuff so that's pretty uncharacteristic of a lot of the bands that were out at the time so i give i give poison some credit on this one they were branching out musically lyrically and uh you know people don't think about it because they think of unskinny bop and how goofy it is but you know they were they were branching out man they were really becoming excellent musicians like you could look at that first album it's a little raw and maybe the musicianship isn't really there but it's it's there on this one and uh, I really like the evolution of the band at this point. So for to me, it just kind of mixed the best of both both worlds. You know, it's not as stuffy and as serious maybe as Native Tongue, uh, but it's not as goofy and, and fun as Look What the Cat Dragged In. So it's kind of somewhere in the middle. Right. And I kind of like that, you know? Yeah. 
No, for sure. And uh, I would say, too, like, uh, for honorable mention, uh, you know, because we're, we're just doing the albums, but like like I said, that first uh, album that I got, Swallowed Us Live, or the, the, the few uh, new songs on that one are so good. I, I oh, think yeah. that's kind of an extension of the flesh and blood, like, so tell me why. I love that's that song. It's a good song. It's so catchy. I love it. Yeah. So, now that's yeah. a song, Chuck, I gravitate to all the time. Like, I want to hear So Tell Me Why all the time. Right. And I remember, and it's weird, yeah. when it came out, I, I remember not thinking much of it. And I thought the video was pretty horrible because the video was just showing live clips. And then it just shows Brett Michaels as, like, the only one who has footage that's, like, fresh for the video. And he's, he's like, in an alley or something. Uh. You know what I mean? It's, like, really weird. And I remember thinking, like, oh, this video sucks because it's the full band's not even in the video. I don't even think CC was in the band anymore at this point. It, it's just but – but now, over years later, uh. that song, that's a jam. That's a jamming song, man. I like it. Oh, yeah. It's so catchy. And I think the other songs on that, uh, the, there's, like, three or four songs. They're all, they're all pretty good. I mean, they're all – like, they still stand the test of time. Yeah. So a couple other things about Poison I want to get your thoughts on. Um, obviously, okay. huge band for videos. If you had to go back, is there a favorite video? What do you think their best video is? <laughs> oh, man, that's a good one. Uh, you know, I think Talk Dirty to me, isn't that the, is that the one where they go through the uh, kitchen or whatever? Am I, or am I thinking of nothing but a good time? No, you're thinking of nothing but a good time. Yeah, while well, the guy's washing dishes. Okay, yeah. yeah. Get it? Yeah, that's a great video. Yeah, I think that's their best, man. Because when I think of that one, once you once again, it's got that little bit of concept, like you said, the the boss is yelling at the guy. But when they get on the stage, it's and once again, it's like you said, it's just fun. They're just having fun, and and here they are, and and all their glory with explosions, and and it, CC's got a different guitar every, every second that you see him, and there's you know just the whole thing, the poison logos glowing, and that's just good stuff, man. I think that's probably one of their best for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. I need to go back and watch some of those other videos. It's been so long since I've seen some of them, but yeah, definitely that one was definitely very memorable. You know another one that stands out, and I don't know if you've seen this in a long time, and once again, maybe because I'm a little bit older, maybe it, it hits me different. But when I, when I watch and listen sometimes, but mostly watch, when I watch the video to I Won't Forget You, it almost makes me feel like, I can't, I mean, I don't want to sound cheesy, but it makes me sad because, like, it's kind of like a, a, a you know, it's kind of like a sad song in a lot of ways, right? And then when you watch it yeah. and, and you see, like, here's the band so young, and I think about, like, I was just a kid. I was probably freaking 11 or 12 years old when it came out, you know? And it just a lot of memories flash through my head when I watch it, you know? And it's just, I don't know if, if anybody else listens to this and they, and they say, hey, you know, they should go check out that video, see if they get the same kind of vibe. But that nostalgia kicks in and it just all works because you're oh, seeing like yeah. it's kind of like poison's home sweet home you know and what's what that's one thing i talked with chris right. hilton about was like everybody made a home sweet home video after home sweet home and this is very similar right. showing those live clips and it's kind of like a sad you know ballad or whatever but yeah that's that's a really cool one i think that's good and of course you know let's not forget unskinny bop with the green laser ladies or whatever and that, that's pretty iconic too so it's it, a lot of good oh, stuff for out sure. there. yeah absolutely no yeah they knew how to make videos back in the day like they knew how to make a fun video that made you that that's how i think they got a lot of their popularity like you said look what the cat dragged in would have done nothing if it wasn't for mtv oh yeah and like i said and, and we can't forget talk dirty I mean, what a video that was that's really the video that put them on the map and you know that one's so much fun. You know, in that one, you know what they reminded me of? At least maybe 
they reminded me of like four David Lee Roths. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you know what I'm trying to say? <laughs> like, like they just were like, totally, yeah, totally. like they they had the streamers and the confetti and they're jumping around and they're playing each other's instruments and it was just like four goofball rockers. You know, it just reminded me of like four David Lee Roths. It was it was crazy stuff. No, that's that's a good analogy. I like that. And it's a it's very true what you said. How they each kind of had their own personality and they're each kind of a star in their own right. Obviously, Brett Michaels is the most famous, but I mean they. If you're a fan of Poison like me, I mean, I they're all stars to me. So now, have you ever? You, okay, you saw them live, but a little bit later on. So, what do you think? Do you have you right. watched some of the old, like the older concerts? Do you, what do you think their best tour was, or was one of the best tours you saw one of the ones that you saw like in the in the 2000s or the 90s? I mean, I've seen them a couple times, and it was in the later years. Yeah, like I saw them in 2000, and I want to say I think I saw them with the, I think it was Poison and Motley Crue, and they sounded great both times i didn't mm-hmm. i have no complaints i don't know if they used tape or backing vocals or what but it sounded great to me and it, they you know they looked good it was looked like they're having a fun time so it definitely captured the essence of the band um i didn't get a chance to see them in the 80s i mean i guess i could look at concert vintage footage and uh, videos and things like that but i i don't think that really captures that if you're not there right. i bet seeing them in those early club days like not too early to where they like enough to where they were kind of had gotten some musicianship down and they kind of had their like maybe like right before they got signed or right as they got signed i bet that would have been amazing oh yeah yeah the only strangely enough man the only time i ever saw him was in uh, i don't know if it was it had to be 90 or 91 it was them uh on flesh and blood and warrant opened for Ch- with cherry pie that was a pretty good concert man i gotta admit that was that was good stuff that was a good one. That sounds amazing. Did you hear the story of uh, how Warren got kicked off the Flesh and Blood too? You'll have to listen to my Joey Allen interview. Yeah, if you yeah. Heard that. I, yeah. I read it. Yes, I read that on Blabbermouth. Yeah, they got served a plate of shit yeah. or something. <laughs> no, no, no. That was uh, that was Doctor Feelgood. That was Molly. Oh, Crew. that was no, Molly Crew. They got kicked off the uh, the Warren Al- oh, uh, tour or the uh, Poison Flesh and Blood tour. Warren did because uh, I guess Poison had put up these like walls or something on the stage to kind of make their stage space smaller uh, oh, towards okay. the end of the tour and so Janie lane just shoved him over and uh and so yeah they got kicked off for that so kind of oh funny okay yeah i thought i remember hearing something about that yeah that's yeah well i think after pretty pretty much after that warrant exploded with cherry pie and they were out on their own anyways uh touring so right yeah so hey that was awesome man i was so glad that we got to talk about um, all that poison stuff but we didn't see it completely eye to eye but you know what it it was a fun conversation i think we uh can at least understand each other's points of view then right no i totally agree i i and you make some good points that i almost want to like re uh evaluate my rankings because i do love uh native tongue a lot as well i think that is a great album and and flesh and blood i i think i appreciate that more now as well it's interesting we both kind of like we like open up and say ah but we both also kind of think it's not one of the best ones which i think isn't it their best selling album it probably is probably once again because of um every rose has its thorn so like i said i think it's singles you know that drive that album but i like i said nobody bought it for um you know tearing down the walls like you said (laughs) yeah yeah in terms of singles it was the, the most success for sure you love bands like Tough, Cats and Boots, Jet Boy, Jailhouse, Wildside, and more? Then get your ass over to DDR Music Group. There's tons of rare hair and glam metal CDs that you need in your collection. 
ddrmusicgroup.com. So Check them we're out. both podcasters, so I think it would be foolish for, not for us to not talk a little bit about podcasting. Is yeah. there a fave interview that you've done so far? I mean, it, I feel like it changes. Like, mm-hmm. I, I definitely the first time when I interviewed Eric Turner from the band Warren. Okay. Warren's is one of my all-time favorite top five bands. Um, that was really surreal to, to, to sit down with him and, and talk about Warren's and the history of the band. And, and, uh, you know, I had some trivia stuff, you know, kind of things that, uh, you know, he was kind of shocked that I knew, like that he had tried <laughs> out for kind of, kind of tried out for Megadeth or, you know, had like an audition with Dave Mustaine. He's like, how the hell did you know that? I'm like, I did a lot of research for this episode. Like I'm a huge Warrant fan. So that one was really fun. And then at nice. the end, he said something like, well, I subscribed to your podcast. And I was like, wait, you did? Like, so that was kind of surreal. Uh, Rachel Bowen from Skid Row was another one that was really surreal. John Karabi, that was huge. Uh, and then my, one of my most recent ones, Joey Allen, also from Warrant. I felt like that was one of the best interviews I've actually done, just because I think when I interviewed Eric, I was still a little bit green in yeah. the podcasting. And by the time I got to Joey, I felt a lot more confident with some of these kind of quote-unquote bigger names. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that was a lot of fun. You know what's hard too, and you got to be able to relate to this. You can be doing it for a long time, and sometimes you're just off. Either you're off or you're on. You know what I mean? And sometimes it just come, it bites yeah. you randomly. It could be like you had a bad day, you're tired, or who knows where the hell it comes from. Sometimes you're just in the zone, and you can connect with the person yeah. you're talking to. And sometimes you don't connect with the person you're talking to, and that yeah. makes it difficult. So we've all probably between the I two agree. of us have had those kind of interviews. No, you know? that's funny that you say that because I, I was. I, I've been telling everybody for some reason, whatever reason, I don't know if it was, I was in the zone or it was just the, the, the chemistry, but with Joey Allen from Warrant, I felt like that was one of my best interviews. I was able to get through most of my questions. He answered the questions succinctly, but you know, he, it wasn't too short, but it wasn't too long. It was like mm-hmm. a perfect amount of uh, uh, length for the answers. And, and he was funny. And we just, I felt like I was like talking to an old friend, even yeah. though I've never met him before. I felt like, we just like we're joking around with each other. It was just it was one of those things where, like you said, it's like you're in the zone. I love that. That's so great. Yeah, that's when it's, that's when you really love doing it. You know, you're like, yeah, this is perfect. But uh, I'll give you a couple of mine. Um, one of my favorites, and it was probably the most popular one I ever did, was with uh, Joe Lynn Turner from uh, from Rainbow and Ingve Malmsteen. And with him, it was funny because he's a pretty big he's a pretty big singer. You know, what I mean, he played with Ray- Rainbow. He played yeah. with Ingve. He was even in Deep Purple for an album. And uh, it was funny because it was very hard to get the interview. There was a lot of like red tape with like his, I think his wife is his manager really? or something like that. So, so like they, they okay. wanted to know the questions and you know, we, we kind of went back and forth for a while. So then you start to think like, Oh, well maybe this guy's going to be a tough interview because it was tough to get it. And it wasn't, wasn't at all. He was so cool. He kept calling me by my name. Like we, like you said, like when your old buddies, you know, it, it is so cool. You know, and yeah. it makes you, just makes you feel important that like the person knows what your name is and is using your name. And uh, once again, yeah. and, and he gave me so much dirt. He's like, I'm telling you shit that I haven't never told anybody. So I'm like, well, keep it coming, you know, <laughs> keep it going. <laughs> this is great. Oh, that's interesting. I'll have to listen. I don't think I've listened to that one because I'm not as familiar with his or as big a fan of the bands he was in. But yeah. I did notice that, too, that that, that episode, I think it's on your YouTube. It has like 
It has a lot of views. Where I was like, damn, views. this guy's got a lot of views for this episode. It's yeah. crazy. So I should listen to that. Yeah, it was a good one. And the uh, one of my recent ones I did with John Oliva uh, from Sabotage and the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Like, I'm a big Sabotage geek, man. And I've been into Sabotage since I was a young kid. And it was funny because I kind of took this path right. I interviewed Zach Stevens, who was in Sabotage. Then I interviewed Chris Caffrey. I interviewed Doc Wackel. So I interviewed all his bandmates. And then one day just on a whim i said doc you think that john would talk to me he's like hold on one second so and once you know here i am i so finally i get the interview and i talk with john and once again you know mike he's, he's calling me mike he's laughing he's telling jokes he he's just was like he was telling me all this cool inside stuff that i never knew and it was just so cool you know it was just a great great That's interview awesome. so I, I loved that one and then my i'll give one of my other favorites was with ronnie latake from tnt that one is so cool. He was just, you know, I love when people have an accent because I, I don't have an accent. So uh, I think my voice right. is boring. But, with, you know, people from Australia, people from Sweden. You got, are you from the East Coast? You yeah. got a little bit of an East Coast accent. I do? Okay. Well, I don't talk like I'm from New York City or anything. <laughs> no. But, um, yeah, so he, he, I thought, you know, he's got a really cool voice. And he just was, he was so cool. He was like, yeah, you've got to come to Sweden and we'll, I'll play you a song by the fire and all this stuff. Just crazy shit, you know, but it just makes you wow. feel, it's just funny that here it is this guy, I've been listening to TNT all my life and, you know, he's inviting me over to, to where he is and, and he's, you know, we're going to sing campfire songs. Just, you know, it was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. No, I love that. I love those. That was like the John Karabi thing for me. I've been trying to get him for like two years mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I finally sent an email to his website. I get a phone call the next day and the, and usually I don't answer, you know, phone calls that I don't know what they are, but it was Beverly, it said Beverly Hills. So I was like, well, maybe this is like a manager. I've sent out a bunch of emails yeah. the day before. Maybe this is one of these managers. And I get on the phone, I'm talking to this guy and he goes, oh, is Chuck Shooter. And I'm like, yeah, this is him. Uh, who, who's this? He's like, this is John Karabi. I was like, why? Like I almost like Weird. dropped the phone and it was on April Fool's. So I was like, wait, <laughs> I didn't realize it until later. My girlfriend's like, oh, that's funny. It's, you know, it is April Fool's though. And I was like, no, that was him. Cause I recognize his voice. Yeah. But that was surreal. Cause that album, that 94 Molly crew, I mean, that was when I was really getting into music. Yep. And so I was a diehard crew. I listened to that one, the 94 crew album on repeat over and over and over when I was a kid. So like you said, if you could go back in time, and tell like yourself that you'd be talking to this person, they'd call you. I mean, it, it's bizarre, dude. You'd you'd shit your pants. You know, you'd be like, you better get the hell out of here. Yeah. You're, you're you're high. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. Right. It's crazy. So everybody that's listening who wonders how we get a hold of these people, it's not that hard. You know, you go to the contact us. You you go to their Facebook or their Twitter, but. Chuck, isn't it like fishing? It's basically you throw out the, you cast your your line out yeah. there, and you just like you said, it's just luck of the draw. Maybe somebody will bite, maybe they well, won't. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, crazy. I don't know. It, it is like it. It does seem like it's luck sometimes or timing. Because um, like, there's another guy that I um, I'm friends with that does a podcast here, and his is more comedian based. Which I've interviewed some comedians, but he's had some of the biggest name comedians. I'm like, dude, how did you get this person? And so, and it also, I think it depends how you try to reach out to them. Because like some people prefer email, some people prefer Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. So you almost have to try everything. Like depending on how bad you want this person, like I think that, you know, if it's someone that's within your realm, you know, if it's not like obviously somebody like a member of Motley Crue, like a current member of Motley <laughs> Crue is going to be really tough. <laughs> but tough. I mean, if it's somebody that, uh, you know, that, that you've seen on other podcasts, it's probably doable at some point, I right. think. 
Yeah, you're you're right. You're right. So okay, here's here's the last question of the night. Who are your top five dream interviews? What, what who who would just make your day? You could retire from podcasting if you could get these five. What, what are you going for? <laughs> well, I I don't know if these are. I mean, I just picked five that uh, kind of like I want to go almost in order with these ones. I think this would be cool. Uh, you know, I, the, my next one that I kind of target. I don't. You know, this isn't like I'm going to retire, but I really would love <laughs> to interview Gildy Clark. I've been trying oh, to get him okay. for a couple of years. Um, I was a, a big obviously big guns and roses fan, but also I really liked his solo stuff mm-hmm. and he's just like the nicest guy. And so that's kind of like one that I, I, I feel like he should do it. You know, it's kind of one of those things where I'm like, well, I feel like I should have earned his respect now. I've had Karabi and, and all these other guys. <laughs> right. Um, so that's kind of like my next target. Um, after that, I think Sebastian Bach, mm. that's definitely one that's at the top of my list. Cause I was a huge skid row fan as a kid. They were probably my number one favorite band in high school. Um, and I just think he'd be a really fun interview. He's so entertaining. Um, and then since we're talking Poison, I I also want to interview Brett Michael. I oh, feel yeah. like that would be a fun one because I'm a huge Poison fan. And he lives in Phoenix, and I just feel like he should do my show. I feel like that's uh, what's going to happen. And then uh, my last two are Slash, and then Axl Rose would be number one. I think Axl Rose, that's like for like the, like you said, the one that I would just – Probably like retire on. You have you know? to if, end. You if, if you could Rose, get that, yeah, you have to. He doesn't end. do interviews. No, what's that? I said you'd have to end after that one because that, that, yeah, that, nobody can get that one. Yeah, so I mean that would be an amazing interview. Um, I don't know if I'd end, but like in terms of music, cause then I, then I'd probably branch out and do other yeah. uh, movies and TV people or stuff like that. But in terms of music people, like for me, that would be. I know that for some people, are like, well, wouldn't you rather have Steven Tyler or Mick Jagger? But no, for me, it'd be like Axl Rose would be. And it would just be such an amazing interview because almost a lot of these, not every interview I do, but a lot of the music interviews I do, you know, it's like I'm asking people stories about Guns N' Roses. So to actually mm-hmm. get Guns like this is what all the stories are about, is about Guns N' Roses. And now I've actually got Axl Rose. I mean, that would be the ultimate. Yeah, you know, it, it, let's, uh, let's explain this to people listening is that it's a lot easier for us if we're fans of the music. I have people all the time say, oh, why don't you interview this guy? Why don't you interview this guy? Yeah, I can, but if I don't, if I'm not familiar with their music, a it doesn't mean as much to me because, like I said, I, like we were talking, right. I want to connect with one of those people that I've been listening to my whole life. And then B, it's a lot of legwork. So you know, like I said, if I do a sabotage interview, uh, damn, I know I know tons about them. I don't have to do any work at all. I just sit and I just write it, you know. Um, but like a few, <laughs> if it's a band that I've never really listened to, I got to go back and do a lot of work. It might take me the whole week to to piece the thing together, you know. So I prefer bands that I've. I'm right. a fan of you know it's a way easier it's yeah it's definitely a lot more fun um and surreal but it can also be more pressure because you don't want to fuck it up if it's one of somebody <laughs> you really like yeah so here's what i got and i don't even, i might have more than five but but the so kiss is my favorite band everybody knows that so if oh, i could okay. if i could get gene simmons I, that's who i probably want to get because that's who has always been my favorite member of kiss um you know, we talk about, you know, Nikki Six. That would be a really good one. Or, oh, or, yeah. or Vince. I like Vince a lot, too, even though Vince blocks me on Twitter, you know, but it's okay. I still want to interview him. <laughs> and then um, Alice Cooper. I'm a freaking huge Alice Cooper fan. And that one almost seems like it could be attainable, but maybe not. I don't know. Who knows? But but I'd love to do Alice Cooper. No, I think that's attainable for both of us. Okay. I've got Alice Cooper on my list as well, and he lives in Phoenix, and that's where I live, and no, I think we'll both get there for sure someday. Here's one who never does interviews, but I'm a big Wasp fan. I'd love to interview Blackie Lawless. That would be an easy one for me. Oh. And he's just, you know, 
let's talk about this for a second because let's face it, we, we've interviewed a lot of the same people and there's other people that have interviewed all these different people, but we can all bring something different to the table. I'm sure. I'm sure there's different stories and yeah. memories that we you know, but it's always nice to score somebody that a lot of people don't talk to. Like John Karabi for you was a yeah. really good one because you don't see him on a lot right. of podcasts. And when I got John Oliva yeah. from Sabotage, you don't see him on a lot of podcasts. So those podcasts are a lot more interesting and a lot more sought after because mm-hmm. this person hasn't been doing the rounds, you know. Some of them, and don't get me wrong, they're right. not bad interviews and I'm thankful to get them, but, you know, they've, they, these people have been on a lot of other podcasts and I feel like it kind of takes away some of the steam for the one that that we're trying to do, you know what I mean? So it is nice to get those Oh, no, for sure. It's like, uh, I was talking to another podcaster about this the other day. It's like he calls it like a cow call. Yeah. Or it's just like, you know, they're just lining up, plugging his – Many uh, podcasts away. Like, I did, you know, I had Don McClain, not a glam yeah. metal guy, but, you know, a big 70s songwriter, singer-songwriter. And he was just, I mean, he was scheduling interviews left and right. Yep. And a lot of them were only 15 minutes. Uh, thankfully, I got 30, which I felt pretty grateful to nice. do that. But I mean, he's a legend. But, yeah, it's not going to be a sought-after interview because he was just doing every show and podcast and radio shows. So, yeah, I agree. I, I like the ones that are. That's why Axl Rose would be the ultimate because he, he. The last interview I saw with him was Jimmy Kimmel for like ten minutes. Oh, that would be so killer. And then I'm a big Manowar fan, so I'd love to interview like Joey DeMaio or Eric Adams. We're, they're upstate New Yorkers, so I feel like we've got like a connection, you know. So I, I do want to interview the oh, main yeah. the main guys from Manowar, and of course a Poison member. Preferably Brett Michaels. Um, I've knocked on Rick, I'm knocking on Ricky Rocket's door. I'm hoping to make that one happen. But um, you know, yeah, I'd love to interview a Me Poison too. member. Love to interview somebody from Poison. But hey, man, it was nice talking with you. I'm sure we'll be uh, we'll be talking some more. And uh, yeah, it's nice to talk to somebody who can relate to all this stuff because it's definitely you know your everyday your, your coworkers and people that you you know from your regular life probably don't get this stuff. So <laughs> oh no, for sure, and especially like I said, I was a teenager in Seattle in the 90s and there was nobody that was wearing poison shirts or Molly Crew shirts except me so I was very alone but now with the internet I find all these people that love hair metal it's amazing it's like this nice cool little community like there's podcasters we got like authors like Chris Hilton and and all these musicians are, are part of the community too they're really nice and generous with their time so it's yeah amazing. yeah it is amazing well, brother, it was nice chatting with you about Poison. Hopefully we can talk again you about too. some metal topics, man. Absolutely. All right, Chuck. For sure, anytime. Have a good night, right, man. Thanks for me on. You got you it. You too, bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was great talking some Poison with Chuck. Make sure you subscribe to the Chuck Shoot Podcast. And make sure you subscribe to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. We got lots of cool stuff on the way. And always keep an eye for our live streams that happen about every other week. Thanks for listening. Rock on!